Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it usually works. In each episode, a different guest comes on, asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips and strategies that you can put to use to grow your audience and business. But today's episode is going to be a little bit different because today is going to be a flip the script episode, which basically means instead of someone coming on and asking me questions, I've brought on a special guest whose expertise I want to learn from, and I'll ask him the three questions. Also, today's episode is going to be a little different because I think more so than maybe any episode I've done so far, this episode will literally make you money. So now that I have your attention, let me tell you about how that's going to happen in today's guest. Today's guest is Justin Moore. Justin is a sponsorship coach and the founder of Creator Wizard, a school and community that teaches you how to find and negotiate your dream brand deals so that you stop leaving thousands on the table. Along with his wife, April, he's been a full-time creator for over eight years and has personally made over $4 million working with brands. Told you this was going to make you money. He also ran an influencer marketing agency for over seven years that has helped other creators earn an additional $3 million. Justin brings a very unique perspective because not only has he been a creator in the trenches doing sponsorships for years, but by running an agency, he has insider knowledge behind how big brands choose which influencers to partner with and why they pass on others. His mission is to enable creators big and small to land 1 million paid brand partnerships by 2032. I hope those of you that are listening to this will be what will be some of those 1 million. So with that in mind, hey, Justin, welcome to the show. Stoked to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. Let's do this. Yeah, we are going to have some fun today and we're going to get right into it with my first question for you, which is also something I have not yet done on this show, which is let's do a little role play. Here's what I want to do. I want you to pretend that you have a newsletter okay. that shares advice for self-published authors, right? You've got a few thousand subscribers. You're not really monetizing it directly through brands or partnerships or sponsorships or anything like that, but you want, you want to do that. You want to get sponsors. So the first part of my question is, what types of brands would you reach out to if you have an audience of a few thousand self-published authors? All right. So, man... You probably didn't know this, and this is maybe cheating a little bit, but I have actually coached a creator who has an audience like that. So oh, that's I already have a little bit in my head about stuff like that. So, okay, so so let's take a step back real quickly and discuss how most folks would approach this, right? Most mm-hmm. creators who would have an audience like that would think, okay, I need to go out and find brands or software tools or something like that that help authors write books, Right. Like that's what most people think about. I need to find a partner that's just like a shoe in. That's like a very obvious like integration for my audience. Right. Mm -hmm. Most people think about. And this is where I think a lot of creators get very frustrated, especially if they have a very concentrated niche, because they're like, oh, who the heck is going to sponsor my underwater basket weaving channel? Like there's no brands unless it's like the, the, the nylon that they use to make the baskets or something. And so the first piece of advice that I can give around this idea is you actually need to focus on the psychographics of your audience rather than the demographics or rather than the content vertical itself. And so what psychographics are literally the psychological characteristics of your audience. So to this example of, you know, people who are helping self-published authors, let's talk about 
what type of person that is. Maybe, you know, the a self-published author, they probably have a nine to five still. They're mm-hmm. doing this. They're, this is their side hustle is like writing for fun, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever, fantasy, whatever it is. How are you going to, how are you going to know the types of people they are? Where are they consuming their content? Are they in line at Starbucks reading your newsletter for two minutes in line? Are they sitting down every Sunday morning and reading your, you know, your newsletter top to bottom? How are they interacting? What types of jobs do they have? Like these are the types of it, like what's their household income? If you might, if you feel comfortable mm-hmm. asking stuff like that, right? And so it literally comes down to just asking them, sending a survey, a Google form survey, a type form, hey, reply to this email, what it doesn't need to be complicated, right? Mm-hmm. But getting some sort of qualitative understanding of what your audience, what's keeping them up at night? What are their problems, right? And so once you start to realize, oh, okay, maybe like these folks, they are they are doing this as a side hustle and maybe they are starting to make some, some royalties from self-publishing online through Amazon KDP or something like that. Maybe an app like FreshBooks might be helpful to help them stop commingling their personal funds and their business funds, the money that they're starting to make from being a self-published author. Maybe that's a partnership that would really make sense for the people who follow my newsletter. So you can see how when you start to really think of it from an audience first perspective, you can start to think about other types of creative partners that you can find. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think also, and you know, and this is something that I've even found myself as I'm always having ideas for like, oh, there's an audience for this, or I could do this, or I could do that. And then a lot of times I think you you start to go, well, but how would I monetize it? And you go, oh, but that niche is, there's not money in that niche in terms of like an advertiser sponsor part, right? Who really wants to reach those people? But I think that's a great point of sort of broadening it out that like your sponsors and the brands you approach don't have to be topic specific. It's what else is that audience looking to solve? And again, FreshBooks, not an obvious choice, but it completely makes sense when you think about it. So let's take this example and go a step deeper, right? And we can use FreshBooks as an example or another brand. So let's say that you were that person, you have that audience of a few thousand self-published authors, you thought about the psychographics, you've decided, okay, I want to reach out to FreshBooks or X, Y, and Z brand. Let's, you know, pretend I'm the head of marketing at one of those brands and give me the pitch, right? So, because I would imagine on the flip side, maybe the brand is not, the head of marketing at a FreshBooks or whatever is not thinking, hey, we got to get the self-published author market. Right? 100%. So yeah. I assume you have to sort of spin it the other way. So, you know, put yourself in that place and sort of pitch me, basically. Okay, so I'm going to actually take another like okay. slight detour here because I'm going to split hairs on a statement that you made is that is not accurate, which is that I am right. not going to pitch the head of marketing. Okay. Okay. Because Perfect. at a company like FreshBooks or a larger, you know, medium to, you know, even Fortune 500 company, let's say the head of marketing has absolutely nothing to do with paid partnerships. Okay. That is... They have subordinates for that, or mm-hmm. they have delegated that to their advertising agency. So the first order of business is you need to figure out who the heck you're sending this pitch to. Because I find that is oftentimes what the hangup is for a lot of creators. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. they do pitch uh, FreshBooks. They find the press email on FreshBooks website, or they DM FreshBooks mm-hmm. on Instagram. They're like, we'd love to partner with you, blah, blah, right. blah. And then they get right. ghosted and they're like, cold pitching doesn't work. It's like yeah. 100% well, false. That's right? when they send a raven, right? And that's <laughs> yeah, how most of these deals are done. Exactly. Right. And so that's the first order of business mm-hmm. is like understanding that not all titles are made equal at different organizations. Mm-hmm. An easy hack here is literally go to the company's LinkedIn page and right mm-hmm. underneath their company profile, it you can click on how many employees they have. It says, see all 
200 employees that work at this organization. You literally click through and you scroll through pages of like, see, understand, start understanding the marketing hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Uh, of their team. And so, yeah, maybe you have a head of marketing. Maybe you have, you know, a lot of people think, oh, the social media manager, that's who I should talk to. Honestly, yeah. most of the time, social media manager also does not have anything to do with it. They have, they're just handling community engagement, responding to people on Instagram or social media, Twitter, whatever it is, answering customer service issues, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it, you're looking probably more for the partnerships manager, or you know what? Most brands now, luckily for you, have an influencer marketing manager. A lot of them. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to figure out who to part, who right. to reach out to now than it was like, you know, 10 years ago when my wife and I first started doing this. And so let's just assume, okay, yeah, we found the partnerships manager's information. Awesome. That's great. We're good to like start cra crafting our pitch now. And so to your point here, it's not directly obvious oftentimes, like why a company like that would want to partner with a self-published author's newsletter. And so I have this pitching methodology that I teach in my course called the ROPE method, okay? And it's an acronym. So ROPE stands for your pitch has to be relevant to a campaign that they've either ran in the past or are running right now. Okay. O stands for organic, meaning that you can tie your pitch back to organic content or work that you've already published. Okay. Mm -hmm. P stands for proof. So you can show how this partnership, how you have helped other brands achieve results. And you're making, you're tying that line in your pitch, right? Mm -hmm. And E stands for easy to execute. When the brand says, yeah, sure. Like, tell me more. Let's do this. And so how this pitch could look, let's pull this thread with yeah. textbooks, let's say. Okay. So your pitch says something as follows. It does, by the way, the subject is not collaboration, question right. mark. It's right. like instant delete, right? Like they, they don't know right. who you are. They don't care. Delete, right? And so, um, for example, let's say that we were going on. Actually, you know what? Let's make this super tactical right now. I'm just going to like, I'm going to, should we do this? I just made up FreshBooks, but like, let's actually yeah. do this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pull up FreshBooks Instagram. I literally just did this right now on my other screen. Okay. And what I'm going to do is time of recording of this podcast right now. It's January 11th. So we are, if we were, let's say we want to pitch FreshBooks, we are not yeah. going to pitch them new year, new you, which is mm -hmm. what a lot of people would think they would do right now. These are the right. campaigns they're running now. Like they have already, they've already inked those campaigns. Right. That, bu that budget is spent. That yeah. budget is allocated. It's been allocated for several months for a brand the size of FreshBooks, probably. Right. And so you're probably going to want to pitch tax time. That, that's probably, mm -hmm. that is, or Q2, Q2 campaigns, right. last minute people who are like trying to like balance their books or reconcile stuff. And so what I am going to do is I'm going to scroll back on FreshBooks Instagram back to last March. So March of 2022. Okay. So I'm scrolling, scrolling. Okay. So here, okay. So this is a post right now. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Look at this. I did not plan this. I swear to God. I'm looking at a post right now from February 17th of 2022. That mm -hmm. is the, it says U.S. tax checklist for part-time freelancers and solopreneurs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they are running content and running a campaign where they're giving you a checklist for part-time freelancers. Doesn't this mm -hmm. sound like part-time authors? Similar, yeah. right? And yep. so your pitch to them is checklist for part-time freelancers in 2023, question mark? That's the subject, right? And so in your pitch, you say, hey, I saw that last February, FreshBooks was you know, offering this checklist to part-time freelancers and solopreneurs. I have actually been talking about in my newsletter all around why it's so important for part-time authors to start, you know, be, you know, be starting to be more professional about managing their finances and, you know, filing taxes separately, you know, all this stuff. And then you link the archive of that 
news like blasts right yep. in the archive of your newsletter all right so that's the o in the rope method right it's organic right mm-hmm. so you have credibility around this topic and you said i would love to do the following i would love to are you, are you basically say are you going to be doing this again this year I would love to help, you know, promote this checklist to my audience. I think it's going to be super helpful. I can do, you know, four newsletter blasts for the month of February. You know, I'll give you the rights to like repurpose this content on the Freshbooks blog or on social media, potentially. If you want to run paid advertising with, you know, with something that I create as well. I also have this podcast where I could talk Mm -hmm. about it as well. Right. So you you make the pitch, right? You say, here's what I'm going to do. Are you free at Thursday? You know, here, here's how I've helped QuickBooks also. No, maybe not QuickBooks, but, but like here's right. how I've helped. Here's how I've helped, you know, some other brand that's right. relevant to the category. Achieve results. Happy to share info on how that performed as well. Are you free on Thursday at 10 a.m. to talk about it? Let me ask you real quick. First of all, that is fantastic. But let me ask you a real quick on that. How specific would you get in the pitch in terms of like, this is specifically what I would do for you versus sort of, I've got a variety of things we could talk about X, Y, and Z, like in that initial outreach. How specific do you get? Extremely specific because you need to give them something to react to. Mm -hmm. Because if you just say, oh, I'd love to partner, like let's figure out out synergy. Yeah, they're like, they're thinking, oh my God, more work for me. I have to now go dig into this person's content, figure out like on top of all the other things I'm doing, I now have to figure out a way to collaborate. No, you tell them you are the expert and you're saying, this is how I can help you achieve your business objectives, FreshBook. You are trying to get this checklist into the hands of part-time freelancers and solopreneurs guess what? I can help you do that in the following way. So the chances of them actually saying, sure, sounds good. Sign. Where do I sign? Like without any modifications right. or changes is un- very unlikely. But that's not the point. The point is that you've given them something and they, they allow them to say, oh, well, you know what? We're not actually doing that right now. We're not doing something on a newsletter, but like, I would love to have you write a blog post, you know, a guest post or whatever. And we can, yeah, we could pay you for that. So you give them the opening to suggest something else. Do you include a price point in there or no? Just be no, specific no price, about what you specific no about what you give them and then get to a conversation and figure yeah, out I, price down the road. Absolutely. You know, pre- the preference of the priority is like getting them on a call, right? Because once you get yeah. them on a call, then you can be a detective. You can start asking them questions. You can be very interested in their business. Oh, that's so, you know, oh, you've never targeted the author niche. I actually think that's a huge opportunity for you. Here, here's the fall, you know, the reason you're very clear that there will be an investment. Right. Uh, you know, to partner with you, of course, but you never want to lead with that because how do you know that they won't be willing to pay you 20 grand for the, for some, for no. some other type of partnership where, Hey, come to our conference and give a keynote. You have to give them that the opportunity by having that conversation. That was all fantastic. And I'm sure super helpful. And one thing I want to point out, which I'm sure, you know, people listening to this and watching this have picked up on, but I just want to point it out because I think it's one of the through lines for me in both the advice that I give. And when I talk to other experts is that you know, with everything, not just sponsorships, but people that are successful in this sort of creative entrepreneur space are way more strategic than the average person realizes. And I think what really comes out in your answer and what you just said is how strategic you are about every step of the process that you just laid out. You're not winging it. You're doing research. You're going back and thinking about, well, what did they do last year? It's not just, hey, I have this audience. That brand might be a good fit. Let's do something together. Like it is high, it is hyper strategic. And I think, you know, I'm not surprised, but I think it's a perfect example of one of the through lines that I think lots of people miss where they just, they don't realize how strategic they have to be with everything. And certainly that extends to sponsorship. So, so well, thank you for that. And as the partnerships manager at FreshBooks, I'm sold. <laughs> well, you, 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 
think of, think about just again, put yourself in that person's shoes. They're getting pitches all day long that are terrible, right? It's just like, oh, look, the collaborator. I'm not, you know, I'm this. Hundred thousand on TikTok, like blah yeah. blah blah. It's like the I because believe me, I have I ran an agency, an influencer agency for seven mm-hmm. years, and I have been on the receiving end of lots and lots of really terrible pitches. Okay, and so I understand like this is how the majority of people do it. And so if you put even in an iota of effort of research mm-hmm. into understanding what is going on in the brand's world, you are going to instantly differentiate yourself. Believe me. And so because again, like a lot of creators, they come at it from a very like me me f- perspective, like. Oh, virtually so many pitches I've seen. Oh, my name is Justin. I have a hundred thousand followers on YouTube. I get this many views per video. I get, here's my demographics. Here's blah, 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 blah. And the brand's like, I don't care. Delete. They don't know you. They don't care. I'm sorry. I'm kind of like tough love about this kind of stuff, but yeah, like, no, it's honestly, true. they do not care. You have to lead with what is in it for them. How can you help them accomplish their business objectives? Because you better believe they have money allocated to their own initiatives, not to pay random people that reach out to them. And so it's your job to kind of tie that, tie those, you know, make that through that thread to say, hey, give me 20 grand. I can help you do this thing that it seems like you're trying to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, also right along those lines, like, you know, making it easy for people is a huge competitive advantage because you're right. They, in a lot of cases, they have budget allocated. They have to spend this budget. They're trying to figure out what to do. And it's like, if you can make it easier than the next person, you know, lots of people have a big audience like you have. If you can make it easier than the next guy or the next woman, you're more likely to get that money. So that was great. So let's jump into my next question. So my next question for you is, I want to talk about sponsorship in the context of starting a new project. Because I think there's lots of people that start new things and maybe in their mind, the plan is I'm going to monetize this through sponsorships and partnerships, but they don't know sort of where to start, when to start. So if you're building something that you want to appeal to sponsors, what are the three most important things to keep in mind when you're building it? Like before it even exists, you know that my plan is ultimately to monetize with sponsors. Mm -hmm. What are three things that you should be thinking about as you figure out how you're going to build this thing? So the first is definitely, again, having this service mindset where you are serving your audience. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that is the most important thing. Like one of the (laughs) principles that I teach is that every sponsorship that you should do should be win, win, win. And it's that last win that a lot of people forget. So the first win is obviously you're winning because probably you're getting money, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The second win is the brand is winning, right? Because they, you are serving as the conduit for them to actually access potential customers of theirs, Mm -hmm. right? What they really care about, right? And that third win though, is that your audience should also be winning, Mm -hmm. be getting exposed to a new brand or product or service. Maybe they're getting a discount. Maybe it's a seasonal promotion, something, right? They are also winning. And so that is a big unlock for a lot of creators, especially at the outset when they're trying to plan like a new project and figure it out. It's like, they're missing that last piece, which is like, how, how is my audience going to win from this? thing. And oftentimes that can be an unlock like, oh, okay, maybe I should go out and like try to form partnership with this, this brand. If they get some sort of, you know, free trial or six months free of descript or like, you know, something where it's like, wow, my audience is actually going to win. And so if you design your content strategy around that, that can be super compelling. And so I would say that's tip number one is just understanding, you know, like how you can actually serve them. Well, I think also, let me just add to that. I think just the very mindset or the very understanding that you actually have multiple audiences, Mm. that your brands or your sponsors, your advertisers, your customers are just as much your audience as your actual audience. Because I think a lot of times people neglect that either to your point, either one way or another, right? They're like, well, if I just grow a big enough audience, the rest will take care of it 
take care of itself. Or they go, I just got to come up with something that brands want. But if you don't really care about your audience, they don't care, you know, that you really, when you treat, when you choose to go that sponsorship route, you actually have two equally important audiences. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, tip number two is actually somewhat tied to point one, but it, it also is like not having a guilty conscience about doing sponsorships. A lot of people mm-hmm. say, oh, I don't want to saturate my audience with like too mm-hmm. many sponsorships or whatever. I believe me, most, the vast, vast majority of, of, of us creators put out so much free content on mm-hmm. it, you know, whether it's a newsletter or a YouTube video or whatever. So even if you doubled or even tripled the amounts of sponsorships that you're doing in th- this new project or in your current projects, believe me, it'll be just fine. Okay. And so it, like, like doing sponsorships is a good thing because it allows you to not only make more free content, but it allows you to invest in your business, maybe hire a VA, hire an editor, make better content. And so like, I think that's a really important you know thing to acknowledge is that like sponsorships are not evil. Again, if you go back to this service mindset, it's not just like a money grab for you. You're actually serving, you know, different folks. And then the last tip around around this is you have to shoot your shot, dude. I literally I have a new podcast that I'm dropping at the end of January here called Creator Debates. Little shameless plug here. Oh, um, nice. And and the premise of the so the tagline is stupid arguments to help creators make smart decisions. And so every episode That's has cool. two high profile creators who are arguing over a highly contentious topic in the creator economy. So you've got it. video versus non-video podcasts or hustle culture versus life design, for example. There's a couple of episodes I've already recorded. And I got it sponsored before I even launched. Mm-hmm. Literally reached out to ConvertKit, who is the you know email service provider that I use, mm-hmm. and they agreed to sponsor it. I, I didn't have any track record. I mean, I have a track record because right. I've you been have making an audience, content. But yeah, I have an audience, I have a, a newsletter, thing. but it's a new thing. There's no, I don't know how many listen, you know, downloads or whatever I'm going to get. And they just basically said they took a chance on me. And so I think that for a lot of new projects, for a lot of folks who are listening, I think that's actually more relatable than most people realize. Like a lot of people, you have a Twitter following, maybe you have a newsletter, you have something. And so this new project that you're doing, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever, mm-hmm. can lean on your existing track record when you're trying to pitch a sponsor on a new project. So that's, you have to shoot your shot. The worst they're going to say is no. And if they say no, it's not no forever. It's just not yet. And you can always go back and pitch them down the line. So let me ask you a question about that. And that's a perfect example because you're doing it, you know, with ConvertKit. So when you guys got in that conversation, because there's two pieces of it, right? There's one piece of like, is this person interested in, you know, sponsoring, being involved in some way? And then there's the other part of pricing and what it, what does that look like when in reality for a new project, neither of you have any idea how many people are going to listen to the podcast or whatever. So it's very easy, theoretically, for either of you to get burned, for them to overpay or underpay or whatever. So how did you, how did you in that example, neither of you know what this is going to be, right? You both want to make it happen. How do you sort of figure out what we should price this at initially when it's a complete unknown? So one really important thing to understand as a creator is your own worth and your own value, okay? See, part of your leverage at, at a negotiating table is understanding why the other party wants to make this partnership happen, right? So if I put myself in ConvertKit's shoes, what is their motivation at the end of the day? They want to find convert, you know, creators who either don't have email lists or already do and are unhappy with their current platform. Maybe they're mm-hmm. on MailChimp or whatever, right? That is their motivation at the end of the day is to like find new customers, right? And retain them, right? And so here I am over here where I look at the other stuff that I'm doing, my YouTube channel, my newsletter, all this stuff with a very engaged audience of 
their ideal customer, right? Which yeah. is, you know, creators and not just creators, but business minded creators, right? People who are trying mm-hmm. to make money being a creator, right? And so it stands to reason that they say, okay, yeah, we don't have any data here yet on like what this podcast is going to be. But if we analyze all the other stuff that's going on in Justin's world, it's all very top notch. Anytime he like starts something new, it's like very high quality. People seem mm-hmm. very interested in his niche. Like we are, we are going to pay to be associated with his work. Mm-hmm. And so it's less it, like the reason I'm giving this example is that yeah. think about it. You know, if you're listening or watching this right now, think about for your own business, for your own niche. Like why would a brand want to partner with you? Oftentimes it's so that they can say that they're partnered mm-hmm. with you. And it's less about, oh, whether he gets 300 bucks or 2000 bucks or 1000 bucks per episode mm-hmm. or whatever it is. That's not the point. The point, and because that's not what they're investing in. They're not investing in, oh, how many people are actually going to sign up for ConvertKit based on mm-hmm. hearing it in his podcast? It's not about that. It's a brand association play. It's a brand awareness play. And these are different types of campaigns that brands will often run. Yeah, sometimes they will run conversion campaigns where it's like, how many people do we get to sign up for a trial of ConvertKit? Mm-hmm. That's not the play here. The play is an awareness play. And in mm-hmm. fact, I can say like the, the link, the call to action that I already did the ad reads, so I can have a little yeah. inside baseball here. Mm-hmm. Like the landing page that, that I'm sending people to in this ad read is the grow your audience challenge. It's like a 30 day challenge. Mm-hmm. Like, start a landing page, like grow your email, that's all this stuff. So it's not like, oh, you know, go sign it. Here's like the land of the general convertkit.com. Right. It's like a very specific, it's like a kind of a brand awareness. It's like a lead magnet almost. Right. And so again, it's very important for you to understand this when you are when you're in these negotiations, because you may be able to be a little bit more aggressive in your negotiations. And how do you frame, let's just stick with this podcast example, because it, it's very specific and a good one. But so how do you frame, was the deal for X number of episodes? Are you taking a season approach? Are you, how did you frame the sort of initial yeah. time period for the partnership? It was very much like, uh, let's do this on a month to month basis and see how it can basically. Yeah. And so that protects both parties. It was out the gla- gates, which it's gonna, of course. Right. I don't know. I have no idea. But when, you know, I start getting, you know, thousands and thousands of downloads, watched, you know, plays, whatever views, then I'll have to obviously reassess. But from their perspective too, I, I appreciate that they were willing to take a chance on me in terms of the investment that I, you know, like asked for was pretty modest. It wasn't a yeah. big deal, but it was just because, you know, I love it. I love, I use it. I'm like a huge vocal <laughs> advocate for the tool. So it was like, it's very much kind of like acknowledging that too, as a creator, like not, you don't need to fleece every partner right. and get the max amount of like rate per ad read right. every time. Right. It's a relationship, right? I am also- Right, it's playing the long something. game. Yeah, it's, it's playing, playing the long, the long game. game instead of the short, you know, whatever. So basically exactly. the way you framed it is essentially, like you said, month to month. So every month, either side can reassess and say, hey, you know what? This needs to be more or this isn't mm-hmm. working for us or or whatever. 100%. And, you know, the other unique thing, again, that's kind of cool about and one of the honestly, one of the reasons why I wanted to launch a podcast, not just to have like kind of a new creative project, but also sponsorships are very different in podcasts than they are in most other content. We'll almost never see multiple sponsors in a YouTube video or in an Instagram post right. or something like that. But in a newsletter, in a podcast, that's pretty common mm-hmm. and that's accepted, mm-hmm. right? And so there may be a time right now, ConvertKit's the only sponsor, but there may be mm-hmm. a time where I just slightly restructure the show and I'm going to have multiple sponsors now. And like the yeah. negotiation is going to have to change because right now they're the sole sponsor. So yeah, it, it, this stuff is very dynamic and you just have to experiment as you go. Cool. It's a perfect lead into my last question for you. So my third question is, I want to talk about the process of negotiating with sponsors. We talked a little bit about sort of how to get to the right person to even have that conversation in the first place. So let me start with, how does a creator decide 
where to draw the line and what's non-negotiable. So let's say they come into it figuring, I'll just use a podcast example again. Like I want to make X amount for the sponsorships of my podcast. The brand comes back and say, hey, we'd really like to do that. That's a little too much. Or we want you know, this extra thing or we want whatever. How do you think people should figure out what's non-negotiable? Where do you draw the line? How do you sort of set those parameters? It's a great question. And man, so deal specific, honestly, because at the end of the day, the last thing that you want to have happen is they sign the deal and then they're super mad at you. It's just like, man, that person took us for all we're worth. They nickel and dimed us to death or we, man, they were like Mm -hmm. super difficult because honestly, I think what a lot of folks don't understand is that how you behave throughout the negotiation process actually colors a lot of how the partnership will actually go down. Because so if you start this relationship off on this really sour footing, then they're going to be much more stringent on their feedback that they provide you on the content that, you know, that maybe you're going to maybe it's a YouTube video, let's say, and they you send them a draft of it to review and they're going to be like, make these 50 changes. And you're just like, what the heck? Right. And versus if you really worked with them, you know, you kind of went back and forth. It was a compromise. You know, you kind of took a few things out here and there. So they just left the negotiating table feeling like this is a partner. This is someone who is not just a commodity, not a vendor. This is someone who can mm. see ourselves working with long term. And so, again, your point about being strategic, like instead of looking at this very transactionally, you have to think about, OK, this is not just the only deal I'm ever going to do. Hopefully this is not the only deal I'm ever going right. to do with this partner. And so, like I said, every deal is going to be different. And so it's very situational specific. So let's say that they came to you and say, Hey, we want to do, you know, 20, you know, podcast ad integrations or whatever. We want to do this many YouTube integrations or whatever it is. And the amount that they want, either the total amount that they want to pay you is not what you were hoping or the per, you know, asset price is not adequate. Rather than just coming down on your rate and they say, Hey, we can only pay you 15 grand, but we still need, you know, like for the (laughs) seal, you don't just say, okay, I really want to make it work. Because now you've set this really awful price precedent. It's going to be really hard to come back from. You say, hey, you know what? I totally understand. Like from a budget feasibility perspective, this is all you can do. I definitely want to make this work, but I can't do 20 reads. I can do 15 for 15K, right? So you have to pull something off the table. You can't just come down on your rate without any justification, right? And so I think, again, it's like, it's a matter of understanding, hey, we're going to get a little bit into the weeds here, but I think if you're the type of person who likes, likes weeds, I think, so I'm going to go with this. Okay. There is this book that I really recommend. It's called Negotiation Genius by Deepak Malhotra. It's one of my favorite books on negotiation. Mm -hmm. And one concept that he discusses in there is called log rolling. Okay. And what log rolling is that whenever you enter a negotiation, each party basically almost always have multiple issues that they care about. Okay, so let's say that a brand is like really dead set on like, Josh, your ad read has to be two minutes long. Like it has to be to adequately showcase our product or whatever on YouTube, whatever it is. And you're like, I just don't do that. I do not do I do 30 second reads. That's what I do. And I'm just on that. And, I'm, you know, I'm not going to. And then and they are like really dead set on this. And then here, meanwhile, over here on your side, your end, you are really fixated on only doing 10 ad reads and when they really want you to do 20 or something like that, right? So you have these kind of competing interests that you may not give a crap about and they really do. And same on their side, right? So it's like, Mm. so what log rolling is you basically come to them and you say, look, I get that this two minute thing is like a really big deal to you, okay? I will be willing to do a one minute read or maybe you say, fine, I'll do the two minute read. We really do need to come down and I'm only gonna be able to do 10 reads. 
And meanwhile, they're over here not caring about how many reads really. And but you really cared about that because you didn't want to saturate your audience. So the principle is basically you trade across issues. And so I think that's really an important thing to understand. It's very difficult to ascertain these things just through email. That's why I'm so such a big advocate of like getting on a call, establishing the rapport, understanding, just asking them questions about what their goals are, objectives, all this stuff, so that you can start to have some of these like negotiating levers when you're trying to make some of these tough decisions. Yeah, smart. So another question about negotiations is, what do you think are things that creators should ask for that most don't ask for? Oh oh my goodness. Because I think this is, and I'm sure there's a million of them, but I think this is the other part too, where, you know, People think when they hear sponsorships and advertisers and all that, I feel like they so they think about money and they don't think about any of the other stuff when really there's a million other factors that go into this, that things that could help them that, you know, for example, right? Like, is your partner going to also promote your show? Like mm. if it's a big partner, we'll just use your example. If ConvertKit's going to send an email to ConvertKit subscribers about your new show, that's worth a lot of money in Mm -hmm. promotional value. So I'm curious, what are some things that you notice people don't ask for that they should? So, you know, I'm an acronyms guy, obviously. And so I've got one for you, Josh. It's called the do rule, okay? To get paid what you're due, by the way. And so this framework is very, very important when it comes to negotiations and pricing, because what most people do is they only focus on the D, which is the deliverables, right? How, what do you actually want me to do? Like an ad right. on the podcast, YouTube video, whatever. That's basically all most people ask about, right? And honestly, it's understandable because a lot of brands and partners, that's all they reach out inquiring about. They said, hey, how much for one YouTube integration or how much for one yes. you know, podcast ad? Read? And so, and then what creators do is they spit back a number. Oh, it's a thousand bucks <laughs> or whatever. They don't mm-hmm. ask any questions. They didn't do anything, right? Whereas there's these other two components in the dual rule, the U and the E. So the U is the usage rights. What does that brand want to do with your work, your content, beyond you actually publishing on your platform? So whether this is, if it's a podcast, are they going to turn around and create an audiogram with this and post it on their website or their social? Maybe they want to run paid ads with it, right? Especially if it's like a video piece of content, are they going to want to repurpose it in a bunch of interesting ways? And for how long are they going to do that? That's very critical. And you should be charging them for that. Right. And then the E in the do rule is the exclusivity. A lot of creators don't think about this component, but a lot of brands will ask this and actually include it in the contract. And you may be signing this without realizing that you are, mm-hmm. you are basically committing to not talk about that company's competitors for a certain duration. So, you know, for example, ConvertKit did not do this, but if they did, it would take the form of like, you cannot talk about any other ESPs for six months. Right. You know, or whatever. Right. I wouldn't just do it from an integrity perspective. Right. I wouldn't do that. But like a lot of brands, especially consumer focused brands, will make these apps. And it's actually the onus is actually on you to ask about this. Don't just be surprised when you get the mm-hmm. contract and be like, oh, I didn't know this was going to be in it. And then you go back and you have an egg on your face and you're like, I actually need more money for that. And let's actually pull that thread. That's actually a really common situation. And so the reason that is such a big issue is that. Your contact at the brand or the agency, when they've actually sent you the contract, right? The deal terms have been agreed to, the price, all that stuff. And you come back and be like, hold on a second. I need more money for these things you're asking. Mm. That person now has to go back to their boss or their client if it's an agency and be like, hey, I know I told you that everything was locked in with Josh, but it's actually not. He wants more money now. And so they look like an idiot. And that's the last thing you want. And so it's your job to ask all of these questions. What are all the deal terms? What are all the points? All this stuff so that I can adequately provide you the right investment levels. 
right? Because th- th- again, you have to make your contact win in this scenario. So that, that's really, the, those are the three main buckets that I think about when it comes to negotiating. That's great. And I think also along those lines, it's important just to make sure even at a base level, like again, using your convert kit example, for them to understand you're going to be the only sponsor or you might have additional sponsors or you're leaving it open. Because if you don't actually have that conversation up front, they might be thinking, yeah, we're going to be the only sponsor. Meanwhile, you're out there going, oh, I'm going to sell and bring in another sponsor. And it's like just the things that may seem obvious to you expressing them just making sure everybody's on the same page going into it because it's easy to see how there could be confusion there well so 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 much of it comes from misalignment of expectations dude like so much of these issues and the other thing about that real quickly is that a lot of creators are so concerned about asking these questions because they think it's going to scare away the partner they're gonna be like i don't want to ask them all these things because then they'll just be like and my answer to that is always good Good. If it's gonna right. if it's gonna scare away someone who these are reasonable questions asking about usage, yeah. asking about exclusivity, asking about a lot of brands will be like, oh, we just want to partner, a couple posts, and like all oh, it's right. organic and authentic. No, you need to tell me exactly what you want me to do, or else I can't price this. So yeah, it's really critical. But let me to wrap up the last thing I wanted to ask you on this sort of negotiation topic, and I'm actually gonna tweak my question. I was gonna ask you. What are the best ways to sort of counter a brand that you think is a perfect fit and they say no? But I want to sort of even back up a bit from that and say, at what point should you, if you make your pitch and they don't see it, they don't get it, they're not interested, they're like, it's not for us, should you even try to counter? Like, how hard should you push or should you just go, you know what, they don't see it, I'm going to I'm gonna go elsewhere? So... I have a, a video on my YouTube channel actually called Why Brands Ghost Creators, 10 Reasons. Mm. So it's like literally a video about 10 reasons that brands ghost creators. And just like a small sampling is that the vast majority of the time, like people are busy, right? You like, yeah. how many emails do you get, Josh? Like, like think about, you know, put yourself in their shoes. This person, maybe it is the partnerships manager or the director of marketing. Maybe it's a smaller organization and they're handling everything, right? They're doing the print, they're doing broadcast, they're doing mm-hmm. what, all these different things. You know, they're doing their Google, like pay-per-click ads, right? Like this person is doing a lot of things. And so when you email them that first time, because, you know, them not responding is not because they hate you or not because you suck or not because your pitch sucked. I mean, maybe your pitch sucked, but that's why right. you work. That's why you work with me. Right. But, right. but honestly, exactly. like because they're super busy. And so it's like my what I teach in my courses and my, my articles and videos and all this stuff is like literally a minimum of four follow ups, even if you are not hearing from them. No, that's hard. It's like you're shouting into the void like, hello. Like, listen right. to me, please pay attention to me. But it's like, no, like you have to actually follow up. with. And by the way, the follow up is not. Just wanted to bring this to the top of your inbox right. or just wanted to follow up. Make sure you saw this. Right. It's like, no, you need to say something different. <laughs> Here's an article I saw on Digiday or Adweek about, oh, you know, this other CPG brand over here is crushing it on with short form video or whatever. Thought your team might find this interesting. Would love to talk on Thursday, at blah, blah, blah. It's like providing value. Every interaction providing value because I can't tell you how many times this has happened over the years. We've been doing this so long, Josh. Like it literally takes that third, fourth email where, let me explain how what happens. You email a brand. This is what happens, okay? They get the email. They say, okay, I don't know who this person is, but it looks interesting. I'm going to actually maybe like forward this to my colleague because they might find it's interesting. That's email one. But they don't respond, right? Because they don't have an answer. Email number two, you follow up and they say, oh, that's right. I need to get back to this person, but I still don't have the information. My boss still hasn't gotten back to me on this, so I'm just going to ignore it again. 
right? It's the email two. Email three is like, oh, okay. I really need to get back to this person. That's rude now. I'm going to respond. Oh yeah, tell me more. Let's talk. Like literally, this is this is what happens. I swear to you. Yeah. And so it's like you have to. I know it's hard. I know you got to shove that imposter syndrome back in that little back in the box where you put it, and uh, you just got to keep hitting send. Yeah. Wow. This this was awesome. Justin, this was amazing, incredibly valuable. I know people are going to love it. Tell people where they can get more of you. I know you've got a ton of valuable stuff out there and ways to help people get sponsorships. So wh- where should they find you? What should they check out? You got it, dude. So probably the easiest way is just <laughs> joining my newsletter because I share everything that's going on in my world on there. But there's actually an even better reason because I send you paid sponsorship opportunities every single week for free. Who doesn't want to get that? Come on. And so the URL is just creatorwizard.com slash join. There you go. Awesome. For me, you can get more of my stuff at fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. Check out my video workshops at joshspector.com slash sessions. If you'd like to talk about hiring me as coach or consultant, go to joshspector.com slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all day, every day at jspector. And if you would like to come on this show and ask me questions, you can go to joshspector.com slash questions to apply. Justin, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. When you get yourself a new sponsorship using what Justin told you on this show, please let us know. We are rooting for you. Thanks, everyone, for your interest. Have a great week, and I will see you next week.